tonight in our study, we have the rest, restoration of property, the prophecy of a future king, the tears of a prophet because of the evil that will take place, and the assassination of the king of Syria and more. I, I don't know how it is that you can go through uh, uh, the Old Testament and, uh, you know, this is made for TV, right? This is, there's, you couldn't, this is just normal life. This is what happens on a day-to-day -day basis. And, um, uh, you know, we, um, we see that in our world today. Remember also, just to kind of give you an understanding or, or a reminder of 2 Kings. Um, 2 Kings is a, uh, is a compilation of the history of the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel. Uh, the northern kingdom is Israel. The southern kingdom is Judah. And um, what this is, is, is a historical account of their successes and their failures. Uh, but like I've been saying quite often, and I, I think I say this every Wednesday at this point, is, is as we see their, their successes and as we see their failures, what we need to do is keep our eyes on the Lord. How it is that He responds to their successes and failures. Um, this evening, we're going to see how it is that He responds with mercy, with favor that's unmerited. Um, as we will also see his grace and so much more. So we need to understand that God is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So let's begin with the restoration of the land of a Shunammite woman who you are familiar with already. Her son had been raised from the dead by Elisha or used by Elisha. And by God. And uh, so we're going to start there. But before we do, let's pray and ask God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once more for this time that uh, is set aside for the study of your word. I ask, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, teach us what we have before us. That you would be honored and glorified as we reverently, humbly, Father, Search your scriptures and study them. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us individually and corporately as a church. And perhaps, Lord, help us to, in the moment even, uh, take something that we learned this evening and apply it to a circumstance that we're dealing with, some kind of uh, an issue that we're confronted with, with biblical wisdom that, again, you may be honored and glorified, and, Lord, we would be better off for it. And so, Father, we commit this time of study into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin by reading the first few verses in 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 1. Now, Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. 
It stopped there. So we begin with Elisha telling the woman whose son he had restored to life to flee to another place. He didn't specify exactly where it was that she was to go, but, but Elisha told her, go, there's going to be a famine, and she left, and, um, and she was gone for seven years. Now, this was the woman that back in 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, she was very compassionate toward Elisha. If you remember, he would pass by her house often, and um, so she had asked her husband if he would build her, build him um, a a house on top on the roof of their house, so that when he passed by every time, he could stop by, get refreshed, and just rest. And uh, because he was a man of God, he was one that was doing the work of the Lord. And, uh, and he agreed. So her husband agreed. They were, again, just, uh, they just went above and beyond to, to bless Elisha. Um, now, in return, Elisha was, um, he was inclined to bless her. And so he had asked uh, his servant what it was that she was in need of. And um, there's really nothing that they were in need of. Um, but there was one thing. Uh, her husband was, was old, and um, she was, they were without a child. And she, so she desired a son. And uh, so Elisha, if you remember, Elisha told her that in about a year, about this time next year, you're going to, be, you're going to have a son. And so remember that uh, you know, she, she couldn't believe it. She said, oh, don't, don't, don't lie to me. And uh, she was just excited, you know, and, and couldn't believe it. But she was blessed with a son. Now, that son um, got a little older. He grew and got to the point to where his father could take him out um, with the reapers, going out to the fields and, and reaping the grain. And uh, on one of those occasions, um, the son became ill. It's thought that it perhaps could have been heat stroke or something of that nature, and so, and he died. He died. Well, remember that the woman sent for Elisha, and Elisha came and actually was used once more by the Lord in that instance, in that uh, way to revive the child, and so her son uh, was, was um, revived from the dead, as he was, uh, he was completely without life. Now, this is, I, and I want to, I want to go back, and I, I wanted to explain that because this is who we have before us. This is a woman who had um, really honored this man of God. He, she had blessed him, um, her and her husband. She had been blessed by this man, and so, so, Elisha, in her eyes, was well respected. Um, she trusted his word to be that of God's word. And so there was this trust that was built between them. And so, of course, when Elisha told her, listen, a famine is coming. You could go somewhere else. Just go somewhere where you can survive perhaps better. Just go and, and uh, it's going to be a famine of seven years. And she listened. She listened to him and she did exactly what he told her to do. Well, they ended up going to the land of the Philistines. They rode out the famine there. And now the seven years are over. They've returned from the land of the Philistines. And she was appealing to the king for her house and her land. 
she, she was asking that it be restored to her. Now, <clears throat> one thing that I saw here was timing. Um, you know, uh, a joke is received only if there's good timing. You know, some people can tell jokes, but their timing is awful, isn't it? And it's like, yeah, it, it just didn't go off very well. And, but some people can tell jokes or tell stories, and their timing is perfect. Uh, the, the manner in which they use certain words, right? For me, I can't tell a joke for nothing, so I don't even try. Some people are naturally funny. They just have that gift. They have the gift of humor, of telling jokes. But it's because their timing is so good. It's so good. Well, God's timing is always perfect. We may think that it's not perfect, but it has nothing to do with our opinion. It's, it's, not, it's not changed. It doesn't lose its effectiveness just because we believe that the timing in which certain things happen are not to our liking, and so therefore perhaps it's not the right. No, no, no. God's timing is always perfect. God orchestrates some pretty interesting events, and sometimes he reveals them to us, like this one. Not everything that God is doing, he needs to reveal to us, but we just need to trust him. All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose, according to Romans 8, 28. You know, Proverbs 16, 9 says, the heart of man plans his way. We, we plan our way. We do. We have plans, perhaps some, some uh, plan their whole week. Sunday is a day of planning. You look at the whole week and, and you look at everything that's happening throughout the week. And, uh, and then you, you kind of adjust and plan accordingly if some things need to be moved around. But you, you plan your week. Uh, some people plan well ahead and they plan out the month or two months. Uh, they look at different goals, looking out for the, the year. Different ways of, of, uh, of planning things. And we plan our ways. But listen, in Christ, as we are given to the Lord, we may plan our way. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Uh, we need to be flexible because the Holy Spirit could have a, a different path for us, a different way of doing things. The things that we plan sometimes uh, isn't what God wills, and so therefore we need to have discernment and think, think things through as the Spirit directs us in various ways. So again, Proverbs 16.9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I was thinking of uh, the story of Joseph back in Genesis chapter chapters 40 and 40, 41. You know, it was uh, at this point that he had been thrown in prison for being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of trying to have intimate relations with her. You remember the story, right? Um, she kept making advances toward him, and at some point, um, it, it, unfortunately, they were in the home by themselves, and, and as she made an advance toward him, what happened was that uh, he said, no, you know, I, you know, the kingdom, everything has been entrusted to Pharaoh, of which I am second in command. So everything's been entrusted to me except for you. And so as soon as she grabbed for him, he fled and he left his clothes there as he, as he left. Well, he was accused of making advances toward her and desiring to have intimate relations with her. Well, he was in jail. 
and he was falsely accused. Uh, he was in jail with a couple of other fellas. If you remember, the uh, Pharaoh's chief baker and his cupbearer. Uh, they had dreams that Joseph interpreted correctly. And if you remember, Joseph had asked the cupbearer to remember him when he returned to Pharaoh. But he did not remember him. And uh, they forgot about Joseph. Uh, well, not they. It was only the cupbearer. Uh, the chief baker uh, ended up uh, being, uh, experiencing capital punishment. All right? And so it was the cupbearer that forgot about um, Joseph and left him in jail. Uh, not for two weeks, not for two months, but for two years. Imagine that. Two years. He stayed there in jail. But after two years, uh, Pharaoh had another dream that he needed to have interpreted, or he was desiring to have interpreted, and no one could, inter could interpret his dream. And then the cupbearer thought, oh, I remember. There was a man who interpreted our dreams, and he was accurate. And so they brought out Joseph, and he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. I bring this story up because... Joseph could have said, God's timing is off. I remained in jail for two years. Uh, the timing was off because, you know, I was falsely accused. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and just things didn't go my way. But God's timing is always perfect. You see, Joseph never complained of that. He never <clears throat> murmured. He never cursed at God for any of those things. I mean, remember that this was a man who was sold into slavery. Initially, his brothers had murderous hearts and they wanted to kill him. Here was a man who was left in jail for two years. And yet, he knew that God has a, had a purpose for it all. Because in Genesis 50, when Joseph's brothers thought that he was going to kill them, when dad died, when Jacob had died, he acknowledged having the discernment that God had orchestrated things in such a way that he allowed what his brothers meant for evil to end up working for good, for a good outcome. Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph was referring to a severe famine that was experienced. But Joseph was used to manage Pharaoh's resources. And those resources were the very ones that fed Joseph's family. In fact, his entire family and millions of other people. Again, the next time or perhaps now you're going through something difficult... Think again when you want to or you, you start feeling a little bitter or angry or resentful, not understanding exactly why it is that you're going through what you're going. Just think about Joseph. Think about these people that have gone before us that have really demonstrated a discipline and a faith in God that goes beyond their circumstances. I think the Apostle Paul is a great example as well. He understood that every little thing that happened to him was for a purpose. It was God's working and he allowed all things. But timing is everything. 
Remember that God's timing trumps our timing. His plans and the way in which he does things is beyond our comprehension and it's beyond our way. God's timing is always perfect. I say this, all of this, because it was at the time when this woman was asking for her home and for her land to be restored to her that an important conversation was taking place at the king's palace, all at the same time, at the same moment. As we continue in verse 4, we learn about this. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left the land until now. Now, this Gehazi was the same man that had gotten a little greedy back in 2 Kings chapter 5. You remember that? Um, he ended up being judged by God and was made leprous, the same leprosy that uh, Naaman, the commander of the king of Syria's army, had been inflicted with, was uh, as he was made clean, as he went to go dip in the Jordan seven times, he was commanded to do that. Now it was a, the judgment of God upon Gehazi that he was made leprous. Uh, remember that Naaman had offered Elisha gold, silver, and clothing, and Elisha refused all of this. But as, as, as the uh, commander of the Syrian king's army was leaving and going back, Gehazi had a plan and he thought, you know what, I'm going to go get a, a few things for myself. And uh, he went and asked for that, hid them in his home, but the Lord knew. And, he, and, and the Lord made it known to Elisha. And judgment came upon Gehazi. And so he was made leprous, just as uh, Naaman was leprous before. So this was the same man. But remember that the king of Syria had this army commander that, that had leprosy. And he still, he did not allow that to hold him back. He still advanced and he got to the point to where he was one of the king's uh, most trusted advisors. And so we know that the king had no problem with, with having someone who was leprous uh, in his uh, company. He may have had him at a distance, but nonetheless, he wanted to know from Gehazi um, all of these things that had uh, taken place with Elisha. So he was curious. He was curious about everything that Elisha uh, was doing, what God was doing through him. We also need to note, though, remember that Elisha wasn't liked. He was a man who was actually hunted. And, and remember it was said of him that as we, as we search for him here, he's not there anymore. And the Lord just takes him and places him somewhere else. And so there was a lot of frustration. He was a hated man previously. He was a man who was, who was hunted by uh, the, the kings. And yet he was elusive. Why? Because the Lord was taking him and putting him somewhere else. But now... It was the servant of Elisha that the king 
wanted to question and wanted to hear stories about Elisha. And uh, so this is a, a, a wonderful turn of events. We see how it is that they basically, they gave up, and there's no way they were going to um, overcome Elisha. And so they simply wanted to hear about what was going on. Now, it was at this very time when the king started asking these questions that the woman just so happened to arrive at the palace to appeal to the king for her house and for her land. This, can you imagine Gehazi's there telling the king, and then here comes the woman, she comes in. This is the woman right here. This is the woman whose son was brought back to life from the dead. This was, this is they right here, who stand before you. And as this woman's plea was accepted by the king, the Lord had given her favor in the eyes of the king. Her home and her land were restored to her, and all that had been produced in her fields from the time that she left to the, to the present day, everything, he said, restore unto, unto her everything, everything. Psalm 116.5, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Uh, listen, God is able to restore what the locusts have eaten. Uh, he is a God who is unlimited. His ways, again, are perfect. So don't think for a moment that you are defeated or that you are down because the Lord can do things that are way beyond our comprehension. Just as this woman, she wasn't expecting for all of this to be restored to her, but the Lord gave her favor in the eyes of the king as she had favor in the eyes of the Lord. Remember that she blessed the servant of God. She had blessed uh, Elisha and had been very hospitable toward him. And so God was merciful toward her. In fact, he was gracious toward her and gave her much more than what she had anticipated. But now we turn our attention to Elisha and Ben-Hadad, who is the king of Syria, and he is sick. So let's continue on. Verse 7. Now Elisha came to Damascus. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And when it was told him, the man of God has come here, the king said to Hazael, take a present with you and go to meet, meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord through him, saying, shall I recover from this sickness? So Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him, all kinds of goods of Damascus, 40 camels, loads. Uh, when he came and stood before him, he said, Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? Let's pause there for a moment. Now, again, it's interesting to me that the same man that was hunted by uh, the Syrians at a time is now invited to come to the king's palace to see, or at least... Uh, be inquired of to see whether uh, the ailment that has befallen the king uh, will lead to death or whether he would recover from that. So Ben-Hadad was sick, and when he found out that Elisha was in town, he sent for him, sending for him with, uh, uh, sending, uh, with his servant uh, Hazael to give to him um, all kinds of extravagant gifts to offer him, as was the case, remember, before with Naaman. Now, we are not told whether he accepted uh, these gifts or not, but more than likely, he did not. Uh, if we go by what he did with Naaman, refusing to accept, remember, the gold, silver, and the clothing that were offered to him. 
Now, when Hazael got to where Elisha was, he simply stood before him and asked him a simple question. He was sent to do one thing, and he did that very one thing. He, he asked him, shall I recover from this sickness? The very question, inquiry that the king was making. So, Hazael was faithful in that. He asked him the question. Let's see what the response is. Verse 10, and Elisha said to him, and go, say to him, you shall certainly recover. But, and this is where the quote ends. So you shall certainly recover. And then he continues speaking to Hazael. But the Lord has shown me that he shall certainly die. And he fixed his gaze and stared at him until he was embarrassed. And the man of God wept. And Hazael said, why does my Lord weep? He answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses and you will kill their young men with a sword and dash in pieces their little ones and rip open their pregnant women. And Hazael said, what is your servant who is but a dog that he should do this great thing? Elisha answered, the Lord has shown me that you are to be king over Syria. Going back to the the answer, <clears throat> the initial answer. Dealing with the, the sickness that had overcome Ben-Hadad. From that, it was made very clear to Elisha. From that, you will recover. Tell him, you will recover. But he also knew that something was going to happen outside of this illness that was going to take his life. God showed this to Elisha. The illness itself will not take his life. So you can go back and answer the king, saying the illness, you're going to recover from the illness. But Elisha continued on. And he said, the Lord has shown me that he shall certainly die. And then Elisha in a very dramatic, very awkward moment. If you can imagine, he fixed his gaze upon this man, Azale, and stared at him until this man was thoroughly embarrassed. You know, when you, when you stare someone down, you, at some point you respond like, that didn't take long, Jesus. <laughs> it doesn't take long, right? And, and, it's, and it does become awkward when someone looks at you and they just, they just kind of stare at you. They're like, why, why are they staring at me? <laughs> are they still staring at me? You don't even want to look at them, right? But here was this man, Elisha, who was just staring at him. The Lord, was, as, as, he, as he gazed upon him, the Lord showed him something of this man. God was revealing to Elisha all the evil that Hazael was going to do to Israel. He was going to commit atrocities to the people of Israel. Things that you can't even imagine. 
You know, people are capable of doing some pretty amazing things. Just because we can't see how it is that someone can do something doesn't mean that people are not capable of doing what is unspeakable. Hazael got so uncomfortable with Elisha as he stared at him. And Hazael came to a point to, to where even in his question of Elisha, he revealed that Elisha was weeping. He was, he was visibly just shedding tears. Now talk about like, okay, not only is he staring at me, but now he's just, he's just weeping. I, I asked him this question. I asked him, is my Lord the King going to survive or not? He told me he was, but then he's going to die, and then he tells me all of this, but now he's, he's weeping. And Elisha answered him with what he now knew would happen. And of course, Elisha saw much more than what he wanted to, and yet God saw fit to show it to him in order to convey to Hazael what would happen and that he would be the next king. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. And then uh, we're going to go to verse 41. So Luke chapter 19, verse 41. <clears throat> and when he drew near, um, when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Um, God loves his people. And Jesus, as he looked over Jerusalem, was burdened, and he wept because he knew what was going to become of the people there. You see, as you know God's word more and more, and you see with understanding events unfold before your eyes, and you see with understanding people making decisions, and you see with understanding how things will work out because you know God's word. You need to ask the question, does it burden your heart? When you know. When you know the things that are happening. When, when you know the decisions that people are making. Does it burden your heart when they aren't the right ones? Do you weep? If it burdens your heart, and if you find yourself overwhelmed, it is because you know. 
because you know God's word is sure, because you know that it will come to pass. There are promises in the Bible. There are also warnings throughout the Bible. They have been given to us in the pages of Scripture to give counsel accordingly. That's why as we look around at the things we see, we can say with great certainty, we know God's character. There is a reason why we warn each other, why we warn our children, why we warn. It's not because we don't like each other. It's not because we don't like our children. It's because we love each other. Because we have come to know, and it's, it's a burden that has been placed upon us. A burden that we don't want to see others. We don't want to see ourselves go through the pain of suffering the consequences of wrong decisions. It's because we know. And so Elisha was overwhelmed. The Lord revealed to him everything. And Elisha told Hazael that he was also to be king over Syria. Uh, but, but he didn't tell him the circumstances that would lead to this change in assumption of the throne. But we need to know that God didn't know. Maybe Hazael, we don't know. We don't know if he already knew at this point whether he had murder in his heart. We, we don't know that. But at this point, he was informed that you are to be the next king of Syria. You know, C.H. Spurgeon said, quote, Our ignorance of the depravity of our own hearts is a startling fact. Hazael did not believe that he was bad enough to do any of the things here anticipated. I appeal to you, Christian men and women, if anyone had told you that you would have loved your Savior so little as you have done, if any prophet had told you in the hour of your conversation that you would have served him so feebly as you have done, would you have believed it? Close quote. It's a, I love this statement and question that C.H. Spurgeon asks because, as I said earlier, it's beyond our comprehension how it is that some groups or some people can do the things that they do, the atrocities that they follow through with. And yet, if we fail to consider our own hearts and our own capabilities of doing things that brings shame to the Lord, then we aren't being wise and we aren't exercising discernment ourselves because the flesh is waiting to bring us down. The world is waiting to bring us down. Satan is ready to pounce on us. And at any given moment, we can react in a way that shames the Lord. And we could look back at that moment of reaction and say, wow, who was that person? But at that point, it would be too late. Hopefully it's not said of us that in our example, we've loved our Savior so little and it's expressed by what we've done or what we haven't done. That in our hour of conversation, in exchange with the word, as we listen to the word, that someone could say, especially the Lord, that we have served him so feebly as we have done. We are to serve him with clarity of mind, 
being fully aware, being on guard, and knowing that we are here to honor and glorify the Lord. So this could have been something that for Hazael, as Elisha brought this to his attention, that he thought, there's no way that can't be me. But then we don't know if he already had murder in his heart. So, but we'll go on. Verse 14 says, Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What did Elisha say to you? And he answered, He told me that you would certainly recover. But the next day he took the bedcloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face till he died. And Hazael became king in his place. Hazael had a, uh, a choice to make. Uh, repent of what was in his heart or give in to his wicked thoughts and intentions. One of two ways. That's, that's all he could have done. One of two ways he could have gone. Listen, just because God knew what was going to happen doesn't mean that God made him do it. We have free will. Because this was entirely up to Hazael. Especially now that he knew that he was going to be the next king of Israel or of Syria. Now that he knew that, perhaps in that moment, the, the day before, what Elisha was telling him was in fact something that maybe Hazael already knew. As Hazael came back to the king and the king asked him what Elisha had told him, Hazael only told him the first part. And he left out the rest. He told me that you would certainly recover. That's all he told him. Of course, for Ben-Hadad, he, that would be good, good news, right? All right, so I'm going to recover. I'm going to be okay. But think about it. It wasn't until the next day that Hazael did this. That he assassinated the king of Syria. He had a whole day to think about things, to turn away from what he had planned on doing, but he didn't. And he suffocated the king to death and assumed the throne through murder. Uh, he usurped the authority that had been originally given to the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad. I was thinking about how often sometimes, you know, how often we deal with something to where we know God's word. And, and think about this. I, unfortunately, I've, I've experienced this just with different times of counseling. You give counseling and God's word comes forth. And, and, uh, and people have some time to think about it. And yet it burdens me when a day or two goes by and they insist on doing the thing that they were counseled not to do. <laughs> to, to change directions. We can be guilty of doing that. No, no different from Hazael. Hazael had it in his heart to do this thing. He had a whole day to think about what Elisha had told him. And he could, could have turned away. He could have repented from what he had in his heart and not followed through. You see, this all reveals that Hazel, Hazael was not sincere when he went to Elisha. And when he expressed false humility, saying, remember when he said, what is your servant? Who is, 
who is but a dog that he should do this great thing? And it wasn't great as in good thing. It was like, this is like amazing. This is beyond comprehension. What you just described to me, Elisha, is something that there, there's no way I could do. Was he sincere when he was telling him that? I don't think so. The true contents of a man's heart are revealed by action that opposes the false words that come out of his mouth. Words of deception and manipulation to make others believe he is something he's not. 1 John 2, 4 and 5 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. You know, as you go through John's letter, it's a, it's a letter that brings together what we profess as far as our faith is concerned, and then how that together with action is what proves or what shows or what reveals what is actually genuine. Because as he says here, as he writes this, it is truth. It is the very word of God. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, I know him. In other words, um, we, we, know, we know God. Like people say, well, I love God. I know God. And yet they do opposite of what the commandments of the Lord are. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the Lord says in these verses, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. Hazael was left to the desire of his heart. Remember, we're going through Paul's letter to the Romans on Sundays. Chapter 1 uh, says everything, and that is that God will allow us to follow or pursue the desires of our own heart. He gives us his word. He warns us. And yet the one who does not believe, the one who rejects God, will fall into what we see in Romans chapter 1. Again, these are the things that should burden someone who knows the word of God, who sees the things around him, because we know that as God allows us to follow the desires of our hearts, the desires of our hearts really should be aligned with God's desires, and therefore bless and honor him, and we ourselves are whole in Christ as we abide in him. Well, it's no different with Hazael. He was left to the desire of his heart. He could have chosen to not do what he did, but he had a murderous heart and he murdered the king and then sat on his throne. Let's continue verse 16. It says, In the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Judah began to reign. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem, and he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David his servant, since he promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. So now we move on. Um, there's a new king uh, in Judah, and uh, he was 32 years old, 
and he was not a good king. His name, Jehoram. In fact, he was so evil that he was compared to the evil king of Israel, the worst king of ever, King Ahab. Uh, he even thought that perhaps he could improve relationships between Judah and Israel by marrying King Ahab's daughter, Ataliah. Perhaps she was uh, a strong influence on him. But nonetheless, he chose to do what was evil in sight of the Lord. But what we need to see here, again, I, I tell you, focus on the Lord. You can get caught up in all of these things that are happening, all these people that are doing all these kinds of different things, and yet we miss how it is that God is responding. Because here we see God's mercy, we see his faithfulness, regardless of what this man does or who this man is. God was not willing to destroy Judah. And this implies that Judah was deserving of judgment. You know, he was merciful toward Judah. But he's also faithful toward Judah. Because they were deserving of judgment. They were deserving to be totally destroyed. But God remembered, remembered that is, he kept this in mind. He doesn't forget. When he remembers, it's, it's an application. At that point, it's an application of what he had previously stated. God had promised that David would not lack someone on the throne. You know, 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He will follow through with his word. And so he followed through with his word, regardless of whether this man was wicked or not. And he did not bring destruction upon Judah. He did not judge Judah the way that they deserve to be judged. But verse 20, as we continue saying, in, this, in his days Edom revolted from the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. Then Joram passed over to Zair with all his chariots and rose by night. And he and his chariot commanders struck the Edomites who had surrounded him, but his army fled home. So Edom revolted from the rule of Judah to this day. Then Libna revolted at the same time. Now the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So Joram slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Now, Jehoram and Joram are two names for the same person. So just in case you were kind of getting confused there, um, there are two names for the same person. The son of Jehoshaphat is... Uh, makes it perfectly clear as to exactly who it is that we're speaking of here. Um, he's the king of Judah, but there is a Joram who's the son of Ahab who was king of Israel. So just to make that distinction, but this is dealing with Jehoram uh, and Joram, two names, one person uh, referred to as the son of Jehoshaphat. Now, he thought that an alliance with Israel would strengthen Judah. As I said, he married the daughter of Ahab, but of course, as we see here, that didn't work. He was trying to work out in the flesh with worldly um, principles, uh, some kind of an alliance that would help him out, to help strengthen out Judah, but that did not help. And, and it even got to the point where there were other nations that were revolting against Judah. But it was all because King Jehoram had forsaken the Lord. And how do I know that? Well, let's go over to 2 Chronicles 
2 um, <clears throat> Kings, and then we have First and Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 21. Just so we have an understanding of how wicked this man was, in 2 Chronicles chapter 21, and if you'd like, you can read the whole chapter. We're going to read a, a few verses here. 2 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 8 is where we'll start. In his days, Edom revolted from the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. Then Jehoram passed over with his commanders and all his chariots, and he rose by night and struck the Edomites who had surrounded him and his chariot commanders. So Edom, Edom revolted from the rule of Judah to this day. At that time, Libna also revolted from his rule because he had forsaken the Lord, the God of his fathers. Moreover, he made high places in the hill country of Judah and led the inhabitants of Jerusalem into whoredom and made Judah go astray. And a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, your father, or in the ways of Asa, king of Judah, but have walked in the way of the kings of Israel and have enticed Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem into whoredom, as the house of Ahab led Israel into whoredom, and also uh, you have killed your brothers of your father's house, who were better than you. Behold, the Lord will bring a great plague on your people." your children, your wives, and all your possessions. And you yourself will have a severe sickness with the disease of your bowels until your bowels come out because of the disease day by day. And the Lord stirred up against them, Joram, the, the anger of the Philistines and of the Arabians who are near the Ethiopians. And they came up against Judah and invaded it and carried away all the possessions they found that belonged to the king's house and also his sons and his wives so that no son was left to him except Jehoahaz, his youngest son. And after all this, the Lord struck him in his bowels with an incurable disease. In the course of time, at the end of two years, his bowels came out because of the disease, and he died in great agony. His people made no fire in his honor, like the fires made for his fathers. He was 32 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem, and he departed with no one's regret. They buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings." He departed with no one's regret. I think that kind of sums it all up. He was a wicked man. A very, very wicked man. Even killing all his brothers and some of the leaders of Israel. Imagine that. The, the unspeakable, right? Killed all of them. And it's believed that he killed all of his brothers at the prompting of Ataliah, who was the daughter of Ahab. Just wickedness, evil. <clears throat> Let's continue. Verse 25 in the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, the uh, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah. 
She was a granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. Uh, he also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done, for he was son-in-law to the house of Ahab. Uh, as we have all that background, and now we have his son. His son followed in his father's footsteps. If Jehoram wasn't an example to him of what not to do as king, then he would experience less time to lead Judah into idolatry and blasphemous acts. As we read, his father had, remember, uh, led Judah into whoredom as God had described it. It was idolatry. It was doing things that uh, the nations around them were doing, but not what God had prescribed for them to do to worship God and to uh, to be well within the land that he had given to them. And so one year is all that the Lord gave Isaiah. Just one year. Remember, what was it, eight years that he had given to his father? Not just one year for the son. There are times when we would desire the same of other people who are in office, but only the Lord knows. Verse 28, let's continue. He went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to make war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. And King Joram returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him at Ramah when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel. So the two Jorams, and that was, this was because he was sick. Now, what we have here to conclude the, the chapter is how it was that Isaiah joined forces with Joram, the king of Israel, and went out to war against Syria. So they, they allied, they came together, they were friends, and, and they put their forces together. Uh, and in the battle, Joram was injured, and we see here that Isaiah was sympathetic toward him, and he paid him a visit at his time of healing. So he was sick, he had been injured, and so he was recuperating, and Isaiah went to his side. Now, this, this relationship was, was being developed over time. We see how it was that his father had married King Ahab's daughter. And uh, so now he was, uh, he was in that lineage of Ahab. And, uh, but we see how it was that his father and now him, they were, they were very wicked. They were very wicked. And, uh, and they, they were having this, uh, this strong alliance, but it was, it was not a good alliance. It was not a good one at all. Um, <clears throat> just some things to kind of bring everything together. Um, some, some statements to make just to kind of stir our thoughts. Remember God's mercy and grace. As we think about um, the woman, the Shunammite, who had been so hospitable towards Elisha. And in her situation, remember God's mercy and grace. His timing is always perfect. So wait on the Lord and trust in his word. Also, God's word is perfect counsel. One can foresee problems if rejected or ignored. Or correction is not made when truth is revealed. You know, do you ever play in your mind, play, play it out in your mind, you know, the dangers of, like when you have kids, you do this, Right? You see your kid kind of in, in a place where, you know, he could go that way and that would not be good. He stays over here and he's good. 
you know, we, we kind of play that, that out in our minds. And so we, we do some things to protect our children from doing things that they shouldn't do, or we warn them of that, right? And so just remember that God's word is always perfect counsel. It, it, it's sound advice. It's, it's wisdom that transcends time, and, and it's consistent. We can all foresee problems whether they're rejected or ignored or correction is made or not made when truth is revealed. And when truth is revealed, it's when we come to the understanding of God's word. So keep that in mind. So choose wisely and trust in the Lord above all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, once more. Lord, for this time of study, we ask your blessing. And Lord, may you bring to our recollection those things that perhaps were, uh, were heard this evening. Lord, uh, something that perhaps you're, you're bringing us to, to reread and, and study again. I pray, Father, that uh, you would nudge us, Lord. Um, and Lord, as I prayed at the very beginning, that perhaps there's some things that we can apply at this very moment. Uh, Lord, you've spoken to us this evening through your word. And perhaps it was immediately to certain circumstances or situations that we find ourselves in. And so, Lord, to that we say, thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your patience with us. And we ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. If there's anything that's offensive to you, we ask at this very moment for your forgiveness. For your word tells us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we just want to be a people who, who honor you and bless you. Lord, help us to do that very thing. We thank you, Father, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.